0: Hello and welcome to Failing to Save the Earth. This is episode six, Failing Self. Hi everybody, before we start the podcast with Jules, this is the last episode and uh, I want to say some thank yous to people. Thank you to Climate Advocacy Lab for your support in in sponsoring this and and putting this podcast together and also the guidebook that's still coming. Uh, Keep an eye out for that if you'd like to Join our mailing list and go to, look us up on Facebook as uh, Movement Training Network. Or you can go to my page, uh, Cherie Foytland, get information there to learn more about the work that's happening. And I want, also want to thank the um, people who came to the La camp down in the swamp when we were fighting the Bayou Bridge pipeline. Because of Loe La and the wonderful people that were there. We were able to start Indian Bayou Food Forest, which is down in South Louisiana, and that's feeding lots of people. And it's also carbon sink and an example of just transition. But that led to us starting movement training network. We help people to take action in their communities on the behalf of social and environmental justice. So we are doing support in the way of capacity, marketing, outreach things like that to help these like wonderful projects. So stay in touch with MTN and learn more. I also want to thank my co-hosts, Karen Savage, Ramon Miha, Joy Braun, Cindy Spoon, Wonealop, and Julie, Mama Jules, Richard. It was just so wonderful to speak with all these really powerful people. I think this is a great representation across a section of our frontline movements. Those are people that this podcast was made for, the people who are doing the work. And if you want to help, you should support those people who are doing the work. I also want to thank my family and friends. You have been very patient. And I have loved the commercials and appreciate spending time with you to do the commercials. And I love you very much. And finally, I want to thank the listeners of the podcast. As I see here today, we've had 70,000 downloads, which is basically unheard of for the first season of a podcast. So I just want to thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for just making this such a great success. Couldn't be happier. I hope that you've been able to find some value in this podcast and I hope you enjoy today's show. This podcast is for all the water and land protectors out there. Those who have struggled in the past or are struggling now to protect our natural world. The podcast is devoted to the idea that failure is not possible when standing up for life. In the spirit of those who came before us and for the love of those who will come after us, this podcast is for us to come together, to heal, to forgive, to dream, to find our power, and to lift up the stories of Earth Come Alive to defend ourselves. That's what each of you are. Welcome. Join us in the circle, please. Today, I'm so excited because I get to talk to a longtime sister of mine. We've been through many battles together, but like most water and land protectors, she didn't send me a bio. So I'm just going to let her introduce herself. A lot of people know her as Mama Jules, and she's with Mothers Against (laughs) Meth Alliance, and she's coming on the show. I'm so excited she's going to be our co-host today. But Jules, I'll let you introduce yourself and let people know who you are.
1: Hi, good afternoon. My name is Julie Richards. I'm from Oglala territory. I'm the founder of the Mothers Against Meth Um, I think that's it. You're a badass. Don't forget that part.
0: Uh, Julie's done a lot of work in <laughs> like a lot of different things. Yeah. The first time I ever saw you actually that I could remember seeing you do direct action was around Dakota Access Pipeline. And you've had that really great iconic kind of picture yeah. where you're like locked down. I was like, yeah, yeah, that's my sister. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Look, yeah. every time we have a little podcast, I've been playing with this game with everybody used to kind of get everybody started. And the game is, it's a word association. And I'll just tell you like one word. And then you say the first word or things that come to your mind. And sometimes we'll talk about it a little bit after. Sometimes we'll just go on to the next word. Does it sound good? Sounds great. Awesome. <laughs> okay. So your first word is protect. <laughs> Babies. Oh yeah. The most vulnerable, right? Yes. How about this one? Meth epidemic. Death. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about like what you do uh, physically to stop the the meth epidemic in your area?
1: Okay. I started Mama's almost 10 years ago and the tribe then and to this day doesn't have a meth treatment program. They don't have any services to help with the meth epidemic. They didn't even believe meth was on our reservation. I started doing education and awareness with the community, like the local kids at the park behind our house. I'd go into the jails. I'd go into the schools, the dorms, the elderly programs, and just um, do the education and awareness. I do walks and rallies against meth and gun violence. and that's where it got physical. So a lot of times when I, if I see a meth deal going down, if I see it physically, see it, then I'm going to bust it up. And I really made built this program to be able to help the addicts and their families because they had to go through it alone with no support. And back then people looked at meth addiction as taboo. Mm. They're like, oh, that's like the same lines of child abuse so like we were really shamed having a family member addicted so I really didn't have any kind of support there at home so I made this program so I could be able to support the families and support the addicts and You know, just try to come up with solutions so the addicts could begin their healing process and come back to our circles and our ceremonies and our way of life and just just be able to live again. Mm -hmm. I really associate the meth epidemic with death because I've seen so much of it, you know, it's just, it's an evil spirit and when we say protect, when you said protect, and the first thing came to my mind was the babies, and that's what it is—is is trying to protect these bees from the heartbreak. Right. And I know a lot of the babies don't have family members to take them in, and we we lose them to the CPS and to the welfare systems, and then they get it even worse. MMIW, which is actually four words, but let <laughs> you explain it. Protect. Mm. I do like my own patrols in my community and that's to prevent the MMIW, prevent having to do search parties because I'd much rather be proactive and doing prevention work by patrolling my own community than have to go do a search party and find a relative that's not in this World anymore, they're in the next, the spirit realm, whatever. So that's why I patrol and I preach that so much. They say, "How are we going to protect our communities?" We're going to do it by patrolling and we're going to go out and do it from the love, from our hearts, for the love of our people. We're not going to sit there and ask people like, "Oh, we can't do anything because we don't have no money." You don't need money to patrol. Well, yeah, you need if you're doing it on foot. I mean, not in a car like I have to because I'm all by myself. Then you need gas. But if we had enough people (laughs) to come together, we could do foot patrols. Yeah. (laughs) How about man camp? Evil. Why you say? I associate evil with the man camps. They have the drugs. They have all men who just work 24-7. They prey on our women and our men. They bring their drugs into our communities. And that's why we have such an epidemic, part of why we have such an epidemic with the MMIMNW. So they're, they're like one of the biggest contributors, destroying our ceremonial places, our burial places, our sacred land bases. They're coming after us. Yeah. What about water? Life. Water is life. It's up to us to really stand up and continue to protect our waterways. Because right now, majority of them are are already polluted. Mm. And so we all need to stand up. If you have a river, a stream, a creek, a dam, whatever, a little lake by your house, I hope you're standing up to protect it so that it's not being contaminated. Because one day we are not going to have That sacred life, that sacred water, that sacred, our first sacred medicine. Then what are we going to do? We can't drink oil. We can't drink uranium. And those big, beautiful rivers are being contaminated. And they're coming down river to the rest of us. Yep. What about failing? What would you consider failing? I don't know. Failing, failing, like. Are we failing our water? Are you failing our, our unchi mother? Are we failing our sisters? Nah. As long as you're standing up and fighting in a good way, I don't believe that there could be failure. Exactly. There really is no failure. You know, you just got to keep standing and keep fighting and get the next generation involved and the next generation involved. And, You know, we just got to keep our fighters coming up from each generation. No doubt. The only way we're going to fail is if we don't do anything. We sit idle. Yeah, I totally agree. Okay. I have a few
0: questions here. What led you to all doing all this work? And I know you said, you know, it was you had addiction within your family and things like that. But I mean, a lot of people have addictions in their family. That doesn't mean they're going to get up and go out and physically, <laughs> physically try to stop drug deals. What, what made you decide that
1: was the course that you were going to take? Because my daughter kept slipping further and further into addiction and she kept just spiraling downhill and, and like she would disappear. And I would be like, what more can I do to get my daughter back? It was literally a fight for my life. I know now a mother's love alone cannot save their child. They hurt me, they were hurting my daughter, and I wanted to hurt them back. And my first trauma response is, violence. (laughs) I'm like, they're all here poisoning our people, you know, but also I knew the destruction. I saw the destruction. I saw evil. It was gave me this road to walk and it's not, easy. it's not, it's, it's really hard. It is. But I was walking my own path and doing really bad stuff out there before I was even healed. But once I healed and I realized, you know, and once I start fighting meth and I realized, you know, this, my job is really ancestral led. Before we do anything, we, you know, we do our prayers. We go to ceremony. We ask the ancestors and I ask them every day, give me the strength to be able to help my people. Some days I don't know how I'm going to do it. Some days I don't know what the most needs are, but it'll help me to understand that and, and help me to, to be able to fight for my people.
0: Hey, psst, you. Yeah, you. I see you out there working every day to try to do the right thing and correct the wrongs of the world. And I know it's stressful and I know it's hard. I know it's exhausting. I know it's heartbreaking. And I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about something that potentially could happen. And that's called burnout. See, I know this because I did a action camp down in South Louisiana. It was called Loe La Vie, which means water is life. It was right after the Dakota Access Pipeline. And in Louisiana, that's a pretty oil-soaked place. So there was a lot of intimidation that happened between the police, between people who were worried we were trying to kill the oil industry, kill jobs. ETP had I hired our cops to work for them to protect that pipeline. And in doing so, they allowed them to become private mercenaries. During that time, let me tell you, it was fighting like nothing we'd never seen before. We were on boats. We were in the middle of the swamp. Of course, that's not the way we started out, but... By the time we got to the end, we had a handful of felony and a lot of bruises and scarring. Not just on our bodies, but for me especially in my heart. I gave everything I had to that campaign. I lost my house. I had to move thousands of miles away, and everything changed. I was burned out. Honestly, people ask me a lot of times, you know, what that felt like, and... It didn't feel like anything, honestly. The problem was it felt like my feelings were broke. couldn't feel anything. It's a horrible way to be. I was angry, frustrated. I felt hopeless, helpless. Felt like I had given everything and lost everything. And people that were around me at the time, they they did their best. The worst part was when I was in the depth of that depression, a lot of people I consider family and friends left. They went missing. And the people that were here did their very best, but they hadn't dealt with that before either. Not like that. They didn't know what to do. And honestly, I just don't want anybody to have to go through that. A lot of times when people have what they call burnout, and if you're living a life where you go to work from 9 to 5, you, you do what some people call the regular life path, when you, when you get burned out there, a lot of times the experts will say, you need to get out of yourself. You need to give. But what happens when all you do is give? Whether it's given to your family, given to your job, given to the causes you care about. What do you do when your whole life centers around supporting and helping people, making change in the world, and you just burn out? For me, that came very close to taking my own life. I remember several times where I literally had made nooses. One time I was out in California, I was standing at the edge of a big cliff with the ocean down below. And I remember thinking it would be so easy just to jump. And I remember thinking how beautiful the landscape was. And also thinking no matter how beautiful it was, I didn't know if it was enough to make me want to stay here on this earth. Honestly, the only thing that stopped me from jumping that day was the thought of my family what they would go through. I didn't want to be just another MMIW, missing and murdered Indigenous woman. I didn't want my family to not know what happened. So I stepped back, and I made a decision that I was going to do whatever was necessary to get my spirit back, because I deserved that, and so do you. We should all learn more about stress and burnout, everybody, but especially people who are doing this work. Stress can lead to burnout. So if you can keep it in check, then it will help you to keep from burning out. In stress, you might over-engage. You might put your emotions into hyperdrive. You might have a sense of urgency. You might be hyperactive. You might lose your energy, or you're just tired all the time. You might have anxiety, or even develop an anxiety disorder. In stress, your, your primary damage is physical. It's in your body. You're holding it. And honestly, stress can kill you prematurely. It can lead to heart disease and other issues. Some experts say a lot of diseases in the body are caused by the amount of stress you've had. And if you've had... A difficult life sometimes doing this work can trigger those past memories and those past anxieties with burnout it's more characterized by disengagement you don't want to do it anymore you don't have the energy for it but you know you should your emotions they can be blunted whereas in stress your emotions can be very overactive people can say the smallest thing and you can just be frustrated a lot of times with actual burnout you can't feel a damn thing You feel helpless. You feel hopeless. You don't have any more motivation. You can't come up with ideas. Your hope is lost. That leads to detachment and depression. Whereas stress is more physical, in burnout, it's more emotional. It makes life feel like there's no reason to continue living. And if you're doing this kind of work, and you're around others doing this kind of work, It's important to keep an eye on your friends some signs of burnout you might notice in your friends are they feel tired and drained all the time they have frequent illnesses headaches changes in appetites or sleeping i know for me i i couldn't sleep if you have this if they have this sense of failure or self-doubt they feel helpless trapped defeated detached if highly motivated people have a sudden loss of motivation If optimistic people have a more cynical and negative outlook than usual, they feel unsatisfied, even in accomplishments. They procrastinate more. If they use food, drugs, alcohol. If you have a friend that you think might be experiencing burnout, the first thing to do is open up a conversation. You might start with, Tell me how you're doing. You just don't seem yourself at the moment. And I'd love to know if there's anything I can support you with. And don't assume what people need it's easy to think that you need to create a solution for someone else based on your own assumptions and projections avoid doing that just ask how you can help and know that they might not be able to tell you encourage them to seek out a qualified health professional there is a path to recovery available just exploring with your friend of what recovery can look like is a great first step then keep checking in The truth is, burnout is tricky, and it's hard for people to know what to do, including the person who's experiencing it. But by being open, you could make a difference in a person's life. You could save a life. If you think that you may be experiencing burnout, you need to know that it's not your fault. Don't let anyone tell you that you should feel ashamed. Do remember to try to alleviate stress in your life. And remember, self-care is the work schedule time for yourself like you would a meeting or a zoom call be firm about it experts say that burnout can take anywhere from 11 weeks to years to get over for me it took almost two years just remember burnout will not go away on its own and you are responsible for your own recovery be good to yourself and remember if you feel suicidal please call 988 that's the suicide prevention hotline The greatest courage does not come when you're doing your best. The greatest courage is recognizing when you're at your worst and getting the help you need to do better. Be a hero. Save yourself. I have another question for you because a lot of people will give us a lot of shizzle around uh the tactics that we use and i was just kind of wondering like i've seen you do things like intentionally put your body in the way and on the line and nine times out of ten you know you get arrested for it first of all can you tell people a little bit about like what it's like because a lot of people are really scared of that you know and um and have you ever been scared going
1: into an action and why 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 handle it why do it that way oh i always get scared going into action because i know how i let the police are ancestors fought these same peoples and they walk in no fear and so I start praying once we start going I just stay in prayer and I stay in prayer until I'm released from jail but it's pretty empowering doing a lockdown because you're in charge that day you know the workers aren't in charge the cops aren't in charge it's like and so it feels pretty good we're continuing the fight that they started for our land and our water and our people and our freedom. Exactly. Didn't they, like, sue you in, like, a RICO thing or something? Yeah, I'm named in the um, RICO and racketeering. So that's been hanging over my head since 2016. What about, uh, I had heard that uh,
0: you had dealt <laughs> with, like, some violence towards your home and your vehicle.
1: Yes, my windows are out and my tires slashed. My house has been rushed. The door kicked in. They did a drive-by. I was in it with my grandbabies. There was a crazy meth dealer running around Pine Ridge with a gun trying to shoot me. Oh my gosh. And when they did find him, he was set up behind my house. Yeah, so I get a lot of violence, but they like to attack my cars and home and trying to intimidate me. But they don't. (laughs) (laughs) I'll leave for a little bit, but I'll be back. (laughs)
0: So how do you keep your head up? How do you find joy in what you do? Because I would consider you a very
1: joyful person. How do you keep that around while you're doing this really heavy work? I cry behind closed doors at night. (laughs) No, (laughs) Uh I I stay in (laughs) prayer. I try to just walk in prayer. For real, that gets really heavy. But um, I also, you know, it's just still staying in prayer and and rem- reminding myself that if I'm not out here doing this, nobody is on my res. Right. I think tears is
0: like a part of that water that you were talking about earlier, being our first medicine, and in some ways, it's kind of comforting, like for the, the earth to like comfort you, like in that connection. And yes, I don't mind crying. Yeah. It feels a lot great when you're done, you know? It
1: is. And that's what I always remind myself. Like, these are healing tears.
0: Exactly.
1: So what about self-care? What do you do for self-care? I go to the water. I like to go to the water a lot. Oh, my little best friends. Even on a sad day, I can't be sad because this baby makes me laugh. He's in his learning stages. So everything he does is so funny. Yeah, I love it. And you have so many. How many grandkids you got? Gosh, I have eight grandsons and one granddaughter. Wow.
0: And hundreds and hundreds of (laughs) nieces and nephews. Yeah, (laughs) right. What would you tell somebody who is just starting out doing the kind of things that you've done?
1: Like, how do they protect themselves from burnout? Like even just being here in Detroit, I haven't even really been doing anything. I just been chilling and that's self-care to me too, because I'm usually mm-hmm. on the streets every day or, you know, from the time I get up, I'm usually busy and it's been pretty chill. So, you know, always practice self-care because my first two years I went hard. And by the end of those two years, I was ready to give up. hmm. And I didn't realize that my spirit with every tragedy that I dealt with every trauma I dealt with from the people, it took a little bit of my spirit and my spirit was almost depleted. So you got to remember to rejuvenize your spirit and, and go to the water and, you know, pray and just touch the water, listen to water listen to the wind and, you know that's really good self-care that's the most important part is to practice self-care
0: yeah yeah i agree totally I, after louis labie i was really burned out it took me like two, almost two years i think to come back and i do think that i think that the only way that we actually can fail doing this work is if we fail ourselves and we don't take care of ourselves it's like how you sharpen a sharpen an axe to cut down a tree that axe is going to cut a lot sharper a lot faster and a lot more accurate if it's as sharp as it can be like it you know and that uh, we have to try to keep ourselves at our best you know and and also it's about finding joy and i feel like you are amazing at that that's why kids love you so much you just you laugh a lot you know you're happy and and you're respectful towards them how can we bring our next generation up to do this kind of work
1: okay so with my kids i've just always brought them to the front line of whether it be a walk whether it be a protest and just letting them you know listen to stories from the elders The schools don't teach them the history. It comes from us. The schools don't teach them how badass our ancestors are. But we do because we, you know, we honor our ancestors. And so I think, you know, like even Jeteri, we had him at line three all summer. He was, he's been on the front line and, and, you know, bring them out when you're fighting for our rights, our land, our water, get them involved, you know. Definitely try to learn your language. I'm teaching yep. what, how much, however much Lakota I know, I'm trying to teach to Terry that.
0: Yeah. And then he'll, he'll learn more over his lifetime. And then that's how we just like build it. Hey, is, is there anything else you want to say? You got any last thoughts about like the movement or you're rolling it, or a- any single thing that you wanted to say or put out there? You got anything coming up? Anything we should support or anything
1: like that? The mic is yours. Okay, so our documentary has been out. If you haven't watched it, it's on Vudu, Apple, iTunes, I think YouTube, and Google Play. But it's seven of us Lakota women and uh, Osage women. But we're all telling, you know, our stories of overcoming trauma and kind of like resilience, if you want to say. But it's real res life. You know, and and it's pretty powerful. Bring a lot of sage because you're gonna need a smudge when it's over.
0: Women of the White Buffalo. Yeah, exciting. I Yeah, I can't wait to see it. I don't think I've actually seen it yet either, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, that'll be great. And I think you said you had some so dreams. We're,
1: yes, like islands. We're hoping to start building. So we will be doing a law for bodies. It will be the very first grassroots meth healing center in all of Turtle Island. Wow, that's big. I'm so excited. I know, me too.
0: I I really am because I just think it's so important. And You know, you got to kind of, when you do this work, it seems like you got to kind of look for what's missing like what's not in your community are there parks are there grocery stores are there places for people who are homeless to be things like that and we all know you know i know that addiction really has been like a major tool of oppression for the colonizers you know originally and has continued to this day so yeah that's important work for, that's right. That's awesome okay well look i'm gonna let you go thank you for coming on my show thank you for having me i love
1: you i love you too